You know, few things can like rally, motivate, and move a group of people like a song. You know what I mean? You ever been to a baseball game and like one of the weirdest but funnest traditions of baseball is that moment where everybody sings, take me out to the ball game. And it's like, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. And I don't even know you, but we're best friends because we're in this ball game together. And you're singing to the top of your lungs this weird song. And it unifies this because it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you are, what you believe or whatever. It, really, what team you're pulling for. Both teams sing it. And we're together because of a song. Songs are powerful. Or if you've ever been to like a college football game. And so many schools have like fight songs or special chants that they do. And like, it doesn't matter if you went to that school, it doesn't matter if you've really been a fan of that team for very long, or maybe you're not even a fan. But when the song kicks up and everybody's singing and people are shaking pom-poms and spinning stuff around their head, you're like, I'm in a club. Like, these are my people, right? And you're in it because songs are powerful. They unify people. In a couple of days, we're going to start the Olympics, the 2020 Olympics are gonna begin, like, is it this week? Next? I don't know, like, so it took a little bit. We had to get through COVID a little bit, but the Olympics, and isn't it special to see those athletes, those young men and women, after they win an event, they get to stand on a podium and a song plays, their national anthem, and you'll see a lot of them cry in a lot of countries uh, if, if their fans are in the audience. So it's moving, and songs are powerful, and, and I don't have to tell you this. Like, there are songs that when you hear them, it takes you back to a place or a period of your life, right? And you remember a person, they're powerful. They're powerful to help us as we grieve or as we hurt. Uh, certain songs help us get through hard times. Maybe, uh, maybe they help you celebrate, you know, at a wedding or at a birthday party. I don't have to tell you how powerful songs are. And so it's no surprise that there's a book of the Bible that is full of nothing but songs. It's a book of, it's, it's literally like an ancient hymnal that we have. And it's called the book of Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. It's a book of Psalms that are songs. And so if you got your Bible with you today, we are gonna crank into a brand new teaching series today that I'm pretty excited about. We're calling it Playlist. Playlist, a play on the idea of, you know, a list of songs, whatever. Uh, but it's a study through the Psalms, and we're not gonna be looking at all of them. Uh, fun fact about the book of Psalms, it is the biggest book in the Bible. There are 150 Psalms, and so I guess I could do this for the next like year and a half. We could do it every single week. We could do every single Psalm. Uh, but we're not gonna do that because I mean, we got ADD, or I do at least. And so we're not doing that, but we're gonna take a look at five of them. Five that I've picked, five that I think are pretty uh, powerful. And these are songs that have moved people for thousands of years. So our goal is to just get into these songs and see if they can move us in the same way, or maybe in a different way, maybe in a different and surprising way. If you got a Bible, I wanna encourage you to go ahead and open up to the book of Psalms. Another fun trick with the book of Psalms is it's like right in the middle of our English printed Bibles. So most of the time, if you split it right in half, you'll be in Psalms somewhere. I learned that when I was a little kid and like almost every time I pick up a Bible, I do it. I don't know why. Um, if you get a lot of like study notes and other things in your Bibles, it won't work out. It just wasn't made to do it that way. But we'll be in Psalm chapter 42, okay? I've got mine on my iPad here, but if you look up Psalm chapter 42 on your uh, phone or on, uh, on your paper Bible, if you need a good Bible, we've got free ones we give away every week back at the coffee bar. Please go get one. Don't feel awkward for standing up to go get a Bible. If you need one to keep, it's yours. Put your name in the front, it's yours. If you just want to borrow it, uh, just keep it for a little while. Let's talk a little bit about the Psalms as we get rolling this morning. First of all, what is a Psalm? What is a Psalm? Uh, the P-S-A-L-M Psalm, Psalm is a song, S-O-N-G. That's basically what the word means. Uh, and so I'm gonna use the two words interchangeably, thankfully, because they sound very similar and it could get confusing if they meant something much different. Uh, and uh, the book of Psalms is a collection of 
worship songs that were sung during the temple era of Jewish history. So in the Old Testament, when people were going to the temple to do all kinds of worship things, these were songs that were sung, and there were more songs. It wasn't all of them, but it was a lot of them. They were collected in different ways. Uh, Originally, these songs were sung by uh, a group of musicians and singers. In fact, a cool fact, there were people whose job it was, like they were the official temple singers and musicians. They had bands. I mean, much like what we do here today, different style, different instruments, but they would gather together and they would sing these songs. You can read about them in several places. Um, And the Psalms were written by several different authors, okay? So if you grew up in church, you might have heard the Psalms are written by King David. And he he did, or he gets credit for a lot of them, maybe most of them. He wasn't the only writer of the Psalms. There were other kings. Uh, We suspect maybe King Solomon wrote some of them. Um, And also there were these professional musicians and singers, and they wrote them. In fact, the one we read today may have been written by that, uh, one of those groups. I think it would be really cool to hear the Psalms in their original form. Uh, it would have been kind of Eastern sounding and probably different instrumentation and, and it would have been in Hebrew, so we probably wouldn't understand what they said. To my knowledge, we don't have like, um, you know, we don't know exactly what they sounded like, but the cool thing is that these songs are so powerful and so lasting that many of the songs we sing in church today are directly taken from the Psalms. And so people rearrange them and they put different melodies to them and they live on. Because like I said, songs are powerful. And few things can move a group of people like a song. So Psalm chapter 42, uh, it starts with this note. And you'll see these in a lot of the Psalms. Um, This says this, the director, for the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So there are these little like notes in a lot of your Psalms, if you flip through them all, and they'll tell you a few things. What this one tells us is a type of, a genre of song that this is, a maskil, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. It means a contemplative poem. And so there, there's, this is, that's what this is. So you might have a love song, you might have a victory song, celebration song. This is a contemplative poem. And then the second part, uh, of the sons of Korah, So the sons of Korah were a group of people who were one of those groups of professional musicians. This is one of the original boy bands, okay? So they paved the way for like, I don't know, Boys to Men, One Direction, I don't know. And so they write these songs. We're about to hear one of their their, their top hits of all times. Um, Before we jump in, one last thing. Uh, This particular Psalm, Psalm chapter 42, is written from the perspective of a person who is hurting. They're hurting, they're in pain. We don't know exactly why they're in the situation that they're in, but more than anything, this person wants desperately to be in the presence of God. And so that's where we jump in. Uh, Psalm chapter 42, verse one through two. Oh, let me tell you one more thing. Uh, we're gonna be breaking this up. I, I tried to look through this Psalm and be like, how do we teach it? Like, where does it go? It's just, it's a song. How do you teach a song? Um, what I wanna do is I think that the psalmist here, the writer, has taught us a couple of lessons through this Psalm. And I think there's three. Um, in, this, in this breakdown. And so I wanna give you what we're looking at in each section and then we'll see what that can teach us. So the first lesson I think we're learning from these Psalms is the lesson of desire, desire. Because the psalmist is desiring the presence of God. Let's look at verses one and two, here we go. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, When can I go and meet with my God? 
If you've heard this psalm before, this is the part that you know. There's an old song, uh, I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s, and it lives on today. People still singing it. Based on this song, uh, do you know the song? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longest after thee. I memorized it in King James. Um, And so this song lives on mostly that section. But can you picture it? A deer running through the forest, and she's tired. I don't know if a hunter is chasing her, or maybe a predator, or maybe she's just been running to get somewhere, but she's so thirsty, and all she wants is a drink of water. If I could find a stream, if I could find a puddle, and just quench my thirst. Our first word is desire, desire. My soul pants for you. Some translations say my soul longs for you. This is the desire for the presence of God. Just like someone who's thirsty would do anything to get a drink of water, we've probably all been there. You've been outside, you've been exercising, you've been you're working out, you're doing yard work, you're doing, uh, maybe you just, it's really hot. You're just thirsty and you would do anything for that cold glass of water or a Gatorade or for your favorite soda, right? Like whatever it is that you, you throw down on. Like, I'm so thirsty. So. This is not about hydration though, okay? This is not like the deal, okay, this is a lesson about getting water. This is a lesson about relationship. To desire a relationship, and when I read this, in fact, when I read a lot of the Psalms, and these are written to God and about God, what I often feel is a sense of romance. You see that? Oh, I long to be with you. When my wife and I first started dating, we started dating in 1999, okay? And And I went off to college, uh, in 2000, and uh, this was before there were free long distance phone calls, okay? And some of you don't remember that, most of you do. And you remember that? And like, so I had a cell phone, but I think I had like 100 minutes on it, you know, remember that? It's like, oh shoot, I'm out of minutes, and then it's really expensive. So we bought those long distance phone cards. Uh, way back in ancient times, there were these cards, <laughs> you know, there's like, you call a 1-800 number, you put in a PIN number, and we wore those puppies out. You could recharge them, sometimes for Christmas or gifts and stuff, we would get like, you know, some minutes on our long distance card. And we loved talking to each other. We were, we were, we'd only been dating for a year, year and a half, and we, we loved talking to each other. We were engaged by that point, so yeah, we were the super young couple that got engaged. And, but I remember these moments of genuinely just missing being with Lindsay. Like, man, she's so far away. It was, it was hours drive away, and I had things to do, and she had things to do. And I remember looking forward to those weekends when we would get to spend time together. And when I hear this writer talking about this deer longing for water, and, when I, and, and, and I think about the way he's longing for being with God, I, I, I picture it like a romance. And I wonder, what are the things that you long for? What are the things that you desire? Maybe it is relationships, but there are a lot of things that we spend our, our hearts, energy, desiring. We desire pleasure. We spend a lot of time seeking after that. We desire success. We will spend our entire life, from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, seeking success. Or we, we desire health. Maybe you've got some bad health or your family does, and you're like, man, if only. I've desired for a long time for the worldwide pandemic to be over, right? Uh, maybe you've desired rest. Uh, some, of, some of you parents of young kids, you're like, okay, is there a time when they sleep at the same time? Do they do that ever? Like, um, they do, they eventually get there. But we desire a lot of things, and honestly, God can provide all of those things for us. He's the giver of great gifts. He's the creator. Anything that we want, he could give us. 
But what if our desire wasn't just for those individual things that make us happy? How much would your life change? How much would your thoughts about God shift if your desire became this? What if this was our desire? God, I just want you. Just you. More than anything else, I want to be in your presence. I want to know the things that you want for me. I want to know the places you want me to go. And so the question I have for all of us today, just a probing question, is how much do you desire God? And my guess is, if we're honest with ourselves, we might not desire him that much. And there's probably a reason for it. If you don't spend a lot of time with him, you probably don't desire time with him because it's easy for God to kind of be a stranger to us. Think about a random stranger. You're driving down the road, some guy riding a bike. You're like, oh, I desire time with that guy. No, you're like, who's that? Oh, well, don't think about him again. If you don't spend time with God, you probably don't desire time with God because he's not close to you. He's not your friend. He's not uh, a love of your life. And maybe we're stepping on toes here, but I've certainly been there where it's like, I haven't read my Bible in a while. I haven't prayed in a while. Oh, you know, I just, I guess I don't have the relationship with God that I thought I had. It's common. It's common and we try to cover it up with all kinds of other things, but um, here's the thing, have you ever hit that wall, uh, the wall where it's like nothing is working? I'm just not happy right now. Uh, life's not the way I think it should be right now. Things are bad, like whatever, you know that wall? You're just like, and no matter what you try, nothing is enough. And nothing fills that. What people have called that is a God-shaped hole in our life. Because God created us in his image and, and for his presence. And often if we're not surrounded by him and we're not seeking him, we find ourselves empty. We find ourselves longing and we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. And I think what the psalmist would call that is a soul thirst, a thirsty soul, like the deer, I'm so thirsty. He's in this boat and he says in verse two, we read it a second ago, but what he asks is, when can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with God? Because there's this hunger, there's this thirst, there's this missing part, and he's like, I just need that in my life. Now, there's a reference here, uh, what he's talking about, I think, from what I've read and kind of understand about that culture, I mean, a long time ago, but he's talking about the opportunity to go to the temple, I think. Uh, this is a Jewish person, he's living in an ancient time, and for them, the, the opportunity to go and worship at the temple is sacred. It's a very important thing, and he, he misses that. And we're gonna find out in a minute that there was something apparently keeping him from being able to go to the temple. And so he's really jealous for that time that he got to go to the temple. In fact, I think that's the reason he's writing this psalm in the first place. Like he hasn't been able to go to temple worship and he's just, that, that's probably why he wrote it in the first place, in, in my opinion. And that's a very Jewish way of thinking about worship, that I go to a place to do a thing. Now, the Jews understood and still understand today that you can worship at any time. God is, is present and you can worship, but it's, it's very focused, especially at this time, on a place and a time, and this is where I worship. And he's missing out on that. In our times today, and this is a church that is a Christian church, what Christianity teaches is that thanks to Jesus, we can have that opportunity anytime. We don't have to go to a place and a time to be in the presence of God. You can worship God on your commute to work, driving down the road. You can worship God as you eat your meal. You can worship God as you're hanging out. You can worship God right here, right now. We come to church, that's one reason why we do this. But it takes a deliberate focus and a deliberate scheduling to get that done. 
setting appointments with God. If this is a relationship, you've got to set up time to be with him. I had lunch with my good friend Paul this week. Paul and I have been friends for years. But for weeks, we've been like, hey, we should grab lunch. Yeah, we should grab lunch. We're good to grab lunch. And I was out of town and he was busy. And finally, like last week, we got on some texting like, dude, we're going to do this. Let's do lunch on Wednesday. And we, we had lunch and it was great. But it was only because we made an appointment, right? We put it on our calendar. We made time for it. We scheduled it. And so this guy's asking, when can I go and meet with my God? And I want to take a second and just talk for a second about church. Like this, what we're doing right now. And around the world, there's millions of people sitting in buildings. And if you're watching online right now, this, this idea, but specifically gathering with people. One appointment you can set with God is to come to church. Just be here. We're here every week at 10. I would recommend you get here earlier to spend some time with, uh, with people and fellowship before the service. Uh, and also so I don't have to do announcements to an empty room. That'd be great. Um, and so like, you know, like getting here and being here because it's an appointment. Imagine setting up a lunch date with someone and just like, you know, I might be there. I don't know. That's how a lot of times we, f- we treat church. And unfortunately, it's become very common for people to think of going to church every week as like totally optional. I, mean, I got a lot of things on my plate. I'm going to try to get to church. I'm hearing a lot that in America right now, uh, you're considered an av- a-, a regular church attender if you go to church once a month or once every six weeks. Um, and that's not very often. And it's not, it's, it's not a commitment. It's not, and, and so many things step in the way of that for us. I think thanks to COVID, we're seeing statistics make that even more because every church in the world is live streaming now. And so like, dude, I can knock out church and like, if I don't listen to the whole sermon, I'm out of here in 20 minutes. You know, it's like, I can, I can really get on my day. It's super efficient. And now here's the thing. Um, if that's you, first of all, I want to tell you, you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out on, on the consistency, on that appointment time with God, on the appointment time with God's people. If you're here on your once in a month visit, I, I'm awesome. it's awesome. It's great. If you're watching online, that's fantastic. These are great tools that we have. I want to be very clear. We're not a legalistic place, and there is no gold star for perfect attendance. <laughs> no one's handing them out. We don't take attendance. I don't know who was here. I mean, yeah, I notice, you know, and you notice But what if we treated our Sunday morning time together as a sacred appointment? A time we say, you know what, I'm I'm here, I'm here for this community because God put them in my life. And I'm here for the presence of God where we get to sing some songs because I know, because I'm as human as you are, you've had some pretty cruddy weeks. And Sunday morning is like, I don't know. And just imagine this, imagine if there was a group of people who had practiced songs and could sing them, and you could stand there and listen and try to sing your heart to God, right? And that was prepared. And imagine, maybe you didn't do great at your Bible study this week, but maybe there was a person who prepared a lesson that you could sit and maybe you could be fed by. And that's not sarcasm at all for me. That's me going, man, I'm so happy that we have this appointment every week with each other because I have some bad weeks and getting to come here and know I've got an appointment. Now, when can I go and meet with my God? Every Sunday we do it, that's one, but I want to, super emphasize that Sunday morning cannot be your only appointment with God. Ideally, every day, multiple times a day. But start, start where you can. Setting up time, like I'm gonna try to do a Bible study regularly. I'm trying to have some prayer time. I'm gonna try to set up some time with some people to have good spiritual conversation. I'm gonna uh, have some time of silence. We need silence in our life. We talk too much. We're too loud. <laughs> we have too much input. 
when can I go and meet with my God? Because when we skip these times, we get very spiritually dehydrated and thirsty. And like that deer, we'll find ourselves desiring something. My hope is that there's our word desire. We can desire the presence of God and we can make that a priority. And so maybe that can be an encouragement for us today. The second word that we jump into as we keep going through uh, the song is despair. Despair. Um, We see mostly despair in this psalm, actually. Let's read it. My tears, this is verse three, um, chapter 42, verse three. My tears have been my food both day and night while people say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among a festive throng. Quick note here, remember I said, there's something keeping this guy going to the temple. A lot of scholars have said that they, they think maybe he was exiled from the Jerusalem area and maybe he was living in a foreign country where they worshiped foreign gods and had idols and stuff. If you read through that context, there are these kind of snarky, sarcastic comments that the people are saying like, where's your God, where's your God? That kind of leads into that for me, like maybe there's people who don't believe in the God of Israel, but for whatever reason, he can't get to the temple and he's remembering, he's reminiscing on these times when I was with throngs of people and their hands were raised and everyone was worshiping our God. We're going to skip verse five for just a minute. We're going to come back to it. You'll see why, but pick up at verse six as the, as the uh, despair continues. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, if abstract poetry is not your thing, you can read a section like this and be like, what the heck is that guy talking? I was following deer in the woods, got it. Wait, what? So, what is he doing? Um, he's feeling broken, you got that, right? He's feeling downcast, and he's trying to draw strength from what he does know about God. And so we saw some references to like a mountain and some places and a river. These historically for the Jews were places where God showed up in in their history. And so he's reminding himself of times when God was present because he feels like God's not present right now. So he's like, I know you were there then. And then he goes into this other kind of metaphor and talks more about water again. So we started out with a deer that's thirsty for water. And then we've got this thing about he's like, um, he can remember when the presence of God felt like a waterfall. Did you see the, the waterfall there? And then he also felt like uh, huge waves of, of the ocean. And so here's the deal. This little section, he knows that God is powerful. He knows that God has delivered in the past definitely for his nation, probably for himself. And he's just trying to draw strength from those memories. And that's an important skill, is that when we're in despair, that we look back and we look at the track record of God. He knows that God is powerful, but here's the thing. And this is what I love about this guy, or this lady, I don't know, this person. He's feeling alone right now, and he's decided to talk about it. He's feeling that God's presence isn't as strong as it has been in the past, and he needs to just talk about it. And so he says in verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? And I gotta be honest, this sounds familiar. I've had seasons of my life where I felt this way. Have you been there? where you just felt like, I don't know where to go for strength and for comfort right now. Distraught, or our word is despair. 
Uh, whatever is going on in this person's life, I don't know, we can, we can speculate. But I think the lesson that, that he teaches us is this. It's okay to be open with God through despair. In fact, that's like one of the main lessons through the whole book of Psalms. Read all 150, and a lot of them are like, Lord, where are you? I'm feeling alone. Because in this great, huge universe, we are tiny. And it is easy for us to feel small. Is it just me? Anybody else? Right? And it's easy to feel alone, and it's easy to feel forgotten. And it's important to cry out to our Father. I know for a fact that there are a couple of our families in our church family right now. I'm not going to call out any stuff because it's personal stuff, but I know of two families that I've been working closely with this week who are going through some hard stuff. And being able to just know that and pray with them and for them and, and cry out to God on their behalf has been powerful. I know for me, but also for them to know that they're not alone. And so maybe that's you too and we just don't know. Maybe nobody knows about what you're going through right now. I want to encourage you, one, cry out to your God. Just cry out. Let him know you feel alone, but also know that you're not alone. God hears you. Help is on the way. And when you're in a fellowship of a community of faith like this, and you can open out about it, you're not alone. And you can, you can be taken care of, and please don't carry this stuff alone. I have found when I'm in places in my life where I, I'm in despair, uh, that seeking godly counsel from another person is so powerful for me. And asking, just asking for prayer. Like to have someone put their hand on your shoulder and just pray. Like, I don't know how you feel about prayer and what your experience with prayer is, but in those moments, you're like, oh, wow, that, that was good. <laughs> so don't do it alone and, 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 and lean into that community. Again, why the appointment with your church family is valuable, not just on Sunday morning, but doing the things we do and going to the beach and grabbing lunch with just another family or another couple so that you can have those relationships. Because when we hit despair, we need each other, and that's why God has given us one another. Okay, so we have skipped uh, verse five, and we're going to get to it now, and this is why. So we've seen desire, we've seen despair, and in verse five, we're going to see what I'm going to call declaration. Declaration. In our despair, we need to declare the goodness of God. Here's verse five. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, I want you to watch the screen, and if you'll click to verse 11 real quick, watch this. Same exact sentences. <laughs> this is like the chorus of the song. You ever notice that the song repeats itself sometimes? I guess this is the chorus of the song. And in case you missed it in verse five, let's look at verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. This person is questioning their own emotions. They know that this circumstance, the way I feel and the stuff I'm going through is temporary and it can't be my constant and it can't be my guide, but I gotta find something constant to hold on to here. And so in remembering what he knows about God and what God has done for me in the past, he says, God has to be my guide. I will yet praise him again. There's hope there. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna get back up on my feet again and I'm gonna praise him again. And that's why I'm calling a declaration 
Because sometimes we just have to grab hold of the blessings that we know are true. We just have to say them out loud. And you might not feel it. Goodness knows you don't feel it. But it's important to know it. And it's important to say it. Because these declarations can oh, just set us free. Anxiety is, a, is a, a curse of our culture right now. And, and I, I've, I've dealt with anxiety of my own, tons of it. I've, had, I've spent time in counseling for my own personal anxieties. And so it's okay if you do too. And so you're sitting there in your moment and, and you know what a good therapist will help you do? Talk, <laughs> declare, say things. Like so often we can free our hearts and the heaviness of our soul by just saying things that we know are true and stepping on things that we know are a lie. And that's what this person's doing. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? And for a Christian, this concept is so much more accessible because when this person wrote this, this is before Jesus even came into the world. And so we have the benefit of living on this side of the resurrection and have even more hope and exponentially more reason to put our trust and our hope in God. And so as we wrap up today, first of all, let me say this. This is a short little song. We looked through the lyrics. I wish we could have sang it together, but we don't know how it goes. (laughs) But we looked through the lyrics and we saw how it went. And all of this stuff is even more true in the light of Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus this morning, I want you to know these are the things I'm about to show you are a promise that you can hold on to and that you can declare in the midst of any despair that you have. And if you don't know Jesus and you haven't been living for him or maybe you just kind of need to recommit, wherever you are on that spectrum, this can be true for you too. So I want to close by doing a little bit of role play, okay? It's weird. It's going to be weird role play. Me and you, we're the deer running through the forest and we're spiritually thirsty. What do we do? And we're going to use our same three words from, from before to, to take a look at how Jesus impacts these three areas. And all the scripture I'm about to read are all about Jesus or even quotes from Jesus. And so these might be things you want to jot down and remember in your life as you move forward. But the first one is this. Let's talk about desire. In John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people and he stands up and it says in verse uh, 37, on the last day of the greatest, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. No doubt he's alluding to Psalm chapter 42, I think, in my mind. And so he says this thing, and he says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. If I'm the deer panting for the water, thirsty for the presence of God, Jesus is the ultimate source. He's the place to go every time for renewal. And he told a Samaritan woman in John chapter four one time, he said, listen, I'm the living water. Anyone who drinks from me will never be thirsty again. We're not talking about hydration. We're talking about spiritual renewal here. Our deepest longings and our needs and our desires can not only be found in Jesus, but they can be filled by Jesus over and over, like going to a, you know, a spigot and just it's never runs out. And it overflows. And that overflow can get into other people's life, which is beautiful. That's something that we can do for each other all the time. My advice is that we dig our well deep. Learn everything that you can about who Jesus is, what he said, how he instructs us to live, and how we can impact the world through knowing him. Dig that well deep and draw from it often. That's what it means to desire in the context of of Jesus. The second word was despair. Talk about Jesus, this guy knew despair. He knew despair all too well. 
There's a scripture that called him a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, we're told we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. This is talking about Jesus. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We see Jesus in some really low places in the gospels. Some places where he sees his mission on this earth to save humanity through the crucifixion and he's crying out to God in despair. <laughs> could, could we not do this, Father? Can we do anything else, please? If there is another way, can we please do it that way? It's okay to not be okay, but we've got to call out to God. And then Jesus does something that none of us can do. Jesus then becomes the solution to the despair. He offers his life on the cross by his own power, raises himself from the dead. And he offers us that same new life, that same resurrection life. God is not some distant bureaucrat who doesn't know what we've been through and can't relate with us. God put on flesh and came to earth as a human being named Jesus. And that's the hope we can have in our despair. He gets us and he cares about us. And he's not just off in the cosmos playing checkers with somebody. He's intimately involved in loving our lives and looking out for us. That's despair. The third word we looked at was declaration. And the psalmist in Psalm chapter 42 finds hope in God because God is more reliable than his own understanding. He's like, I've seen your track record. I've seen my track record. I choose your track record. That's where I wanna go with this. For us, Jesus raises that bar of hope exponentially. And like Jesus conquered our biggest despair, death and sin and separation from God. He brings us forgiveness and grace and new life and so many other things that bring us hope. And so I wanna read you a couple of scriptures that bring me hope as I think about Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 56. You know, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us, this is a word we all need to hear today. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over sin, over the trials of this world, over what you're going through, over your despair. He gives us victory. I gotta keep going in Romans 5, chapter, uh, verse six. Romans 5, six. See, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And one of my favorite passages of all time, Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Declare that from the top of your lungs to the world around you. It's God's gift to you and to me, and it's your promise to claim every single day. So very few things can move a group of people like a song. And though we didn't get to sing this one together today, I hope that the words of it can unify us, can bring us together, can bring us hope, can bring us peace. Psalm chapter 42 is one that will hopefully move you into seeking the presence of God, desiring being with him. And when you're feeling spiritually famished, that you can know where to turn and that you can set up regular appointments with him, tell me when can I be with my God? And like a deer panting for water, may we all wake up every day on that quest to seek his presence longing for him, seeking for him, crying out to him when we're in despair, 
and finding hope as over and over again he shows up to bring us peace. Let me pray for us today.